The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 545 for Sunday, March 22nd. The first Mac Geek Gab of spring in the year 2015. And welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek Cab here on this gloriously sunny Sunday morning. Uh, let's see. We are the show that uh, where you send in questions, you send in tips, you send in cool stuff found. We answer your questions, share your tips, share your cool stuff found with the goal of all learning many new things each and every time we get together. Sponsor for this episode is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG gets you 10% off. Your beautifully built and hosted website. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. And also Casper at Casper.com where you can get a fantastic night's sleep every night at home. And coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks and gets you free shipping. We'll talk more about that later in the show too. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing today, John F. Braun? Great. Just digging out from the... Uh you know, springtime uh, snow flurries we had. No, not really digging out. It wasn't that much, but it was like, <laughs> welcome spring. Yeah, you guys had like, we had some like true just flurries, but um, did you guys have like, like schools was, school was delayed or canceled or something uh, this week, right? Early, early dismissal. Wow. Yeah. They freak out. Why? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how much, how much snow did you get? I mean, did you get an inch even? It, it's uh, not even. Okay. No, no. And it was, it was light, light, fluffy. Yeah. Happy, happy snow. Yeah. 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 Well, I think you that's know. it for the season. I hope. Aha. Uh-huh. Sure. We've had snow on Easter in April. So, you know, you know how that goes. Can you see, so can you see grass like in your front yard? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pat- patches. Wow. Good for you. I can see grass where my septic tank lid is, but that's like the first place that always melts. So that's normal. Uh, the rest of the yard has easily, well, it's actually down from even from yesterday, probably about a foot of snow still. So, you know, uh, yep. Uh, yep. That's how it goes. All right. Where that's how it goes. So why don't we go? Let's go to Ron here. Ron had a follow up from uh, show 544 where we were talking about disc images and all that good stuff. And he said, uh, Dave and John, my question is about file vault versus a disc image. I've listened to your discussions about di- your discussions about file vault. However, I set up my secure disc image long before file vault became usable. Should I change from a disc image to file vault? And so it depends on what you're doing, Ron. Um, if you have a disc image that stores a fixed or small number of things and you want it to be portable, um, then a disk image is perfect, right? Because you can take that disk image and put it on a, you know, a, a USB stick or or whatever, you know, whatever format you want to put it on an external hard drive and uh, and mount it on another Mac. But if you're simply using it for data that you'd otherwise just keep on your hard drive or you're you're storing most of your stuff there, then switching it to File Vault two, which is whole disk encryption, will be a whole lot faster based on our testing. So. 
Um, so that that's the answer, and 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 we shared that with Ron, and and Ron wrote back and said, "Yeah, I'm just using it for a small subset of my data files, and and I actually like the portability, so I'm going to stick with a with a uh, with a disk image." And there's nothing wrong with that. Just just know that it's not as efficient in terms of speed as uh, as just doing whole disk encryption. But but you know the the two come with their they, they each have their benefits. Right, John? Right. Now, you know, there's a third option, which I actually uh, explored recently, Dave. Yes, uh? Maybe you could. Well, there's another option. So, of course, FileVault is for a drive that's on your internal uh, SATA bus, I, I think. Well, you could use FileVault with an external USB drive, too. But then is that because you approach it differently? You, you, so, yes, you, that's right. You would you go ahead and explain how to how to encrypt an external drive. But it's all still the same. I mean, it's the same engine. If it's FileVault, essentially. Is it? OK. Yeah. 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 It wasn't clear to me because it didn't seem. Well, it, it, yeah, it, it we'll link to this. Uh, it's whole so, disk you know, encryption. Our, our own. Yeah. Um, yeah so our own uh, Melissa uh, did an article about this. And this has been around for, yeah, well, since 10.8, I guess. But if you have an external drive. So like I said, if you, if you want to do FileVault for your internal drive, that's going to be through system preferences, uh, security, somewhere in there. Right. But if you want to do it to an external drive, if you right-click, what you should see among the items in the contextual menu is encrypt and then the name of the disk. Right. That's right. And then you launch that. And I guess the only downside of that, and I ran into this too, is that you don't get any sort of indication as to the progress of this operation. And that you see it grayed out and something's happening. And at some point, um, your drive will be encrypted or the contents will be encrypted. So it makes me uneasy because uh, at least FileVault uh, in the same place in the, uh, you know, in the system preferences gives you a little progress bar telling you how far along it is. Whereas this other method for external drives, uh, you, you get no clue uh, what the progress is. Right. Yeah, that is kind of a weird thing that you don't get the uh, the 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 progress bar. Well, because the the progress bar for FileVault doesn't show up as a separate window. It lives inside that that security pref pane that you were talking about. Yep. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I did that the other day to one of the drives that I, I back up to. I figure, yep. Yeah. Why? Why? Why not? Can't hurt. Yeah, it. You know, we've talked about this before, but that's a good idea, especially if you're doing a clone drive, right? It it makes sense to encrypt that and then just let your Mac's keychain store the decryption key so that it can auto mount itself on your main drive, which it should be able to anyway. Um, yeah. Huh. Huh. I got to do that on my uh, clone drive. You know what? Hang on. I'll, I'll be right back. Like, just hang out for five Don't minutes. I'm just going to go turn it. it on. Don't do it. No, I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, David has, well, David has this to ask. He says, I have a question regarding the new photos app for OS 10. My wife and I each have our own iCloud accounts. Will we be able to share or work with one photo library between us? I know there is a family share option to share a family album, but we're interested in sharing our complete library of photos between us. There must be a lot of families that are thinking about doing the same thing. Uh, if we can't do it with iCloud, I guess plan B would be to share an external drive that we can move between us. So this is a good question. Photos in terms of photos in the cloud are definitely tied to a single iCloud account. 
you can do sharing the family album, as you mentioned, but that is not, that's not sharing the entire library. Um, it, it, it is, it is tied to your main iCloud account. Um, you can add this, many people may not realize this. You can add additional iCloud accounts to both your iOS and OS 10 devices, but secondary iCloud accounts will only let you use mail contacts, calendars, reminders, and notes, which means that things like photos, iCloud drive, Safari, passbook, backup keychain, and find my iPhone are tied only to the primary iCloud account. So if you and your wife are willing to share uh, or not sync everything else in that second list of items, then you could both use the same primary account, right? And turn off mail and calendars and all of that on the primary account, and then add a, and then add your individual iCloud accounts as your secondary accounts, and then turn on your mail and calendars and whatever else you want syncing there. But you're, you're going to be missing iCloud drive, which is a bigger and bigger deal. I'll explain in a second. Um, you're going to be missing iCloud Drive, Safari, bookmark, syncing, passbook, um, backup, iCloud keychain, and find my iPhone. Although you could both add find, you could use find my iPhone as long as you're okay with each other seeing where your you know your iPhones are, which you probably are. Um, so that would be okay. The, the iCloud Drive gets weird because a lot of apps depend on this to share data between either multiple iOS devices or even your iOS device and your Mac. So it's not a perfect solution, but it, it could be done. That said, you said uh, he said he has a 60 gig iPhoto library or photo library, I should say. And, and so you could certainly can, you know, buy enough uh, storage to store that many photos in the cloud. And maybe you want to right? I mean, it's a nice offsite backup and it, like you said, it syncs amongst everything. But if you don't want to do that, yeah, sharing an external drive between you uh, would, or if you have, you could, you could do it on a network drive. You just need to manage who's in it at any given point in time, but you can do that. And you, um, John, you've used the photos app a little bit, which is a little bit more than me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in certainly in iPhoto and Aperture, the library, if, if you store a library on an external device and then move that uh, library to another computer, that library file contains the entirety of what iPhoto or Aperture needs to to read that library. And I believe the same is true with the library that fo the photos app uses. So, so you could use a portable library that you just bounce between your two Macs. Did you test that with the photos app, John? You know, I think that's, so that's true for things that are not part of photo streams, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think in Aperture they call it referenced or something instead of. Uh, there are some things that are not baked into that file that it's referencing them, and I, and I got think it. Things that are in the stream or part of uh, in the cloud um, may not be portable uh, by moving the library around. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, I got to look at photos again. I only looked briefly, but I I, I really didn't look at the the cloud functionality. I sure. Just, uh, well, I just fired it up just to. Just to see, what it see how it is. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, so far it's, you know, a nice subset of Aperture and maybe a superset of iPhoto. Okay. And I think it's kind of between the two of them as far as what it can do. Yep. But, uh, 
you know, it's still evolving. We'll yeah. See. Yeah. Very good. So John, I, I want to, uh, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Casper and Casper. Uh, well, they, they, they make and sell mattresses in a fantastic way. Uh, they are, well, they're an online, they're an online store, right? And they, they sell these fantastic memory foam mattresses, but they're not just memory foam. It, they're, they're the, the latest technology of a uh, combination of memory foam and latex foam. And, and why that's important is just memory foam is great, comfortable to sleep on in terms of, of holding your body in the right spot and, and not creating any pressure points. But uh, initial like early, early adopters of memory foam, you know, a decade ago, started figuring out that it gets really warm. So they've uh, since added latex foam as sort of a wrapper onto the memory foam. So you get all the benefits of the comfort of memory foam. And then the latex foam actually helps regulate temperature so that you're not, uh, you're not getting overheated and and trapping extra heat in and all that stuff. And, and, and I can totally attest to this. You know, we've got a Casper mattress uh, here at the house and it's, Super comfortable. I've tried, actually, I've tried several different memory foam mattresses. And I mean, this is super comfortable. It's, it's, you know, it's an awesome mattress. And the cool thing about Casper is it's very simple. You know, you, you figure out what size you want. You go onto their website at Casper.com and then uh, you order your mattress and it shows up in a box, right? This is deliverable by UPS, uh, you know, standard shipping, and and the shipping is free, by the way, with uh, with with the deal that they've put together for you, and uh, and it, it comes in a box that is narrower than your door frames, so you can totally just carry this by yourself, or you know, if you get another family member or somebody to help you out, carry it into the room where you want it to be. You open up the box; they have clearly gone through this process many many times themselves, iterated on it. And it's a it's a wonderful experience. You pull the 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 box off of the mattress, which is wrapped in a uh, bag. You take the bag off, and then there's this Tyvek. Uh, I think it's Tyvek. It's 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 a you know it's a sleeve that holds the mattress from you know expanding apart. And it comes with a little. It's like a letter opener, and they have a little dot on the uh, exact right spot of this sleeve that you just cut and zip along. And if you use it right on the dot and it's a big dot, I mean, this is like a, you know, it's like a two inch uh, diameter dot. So you're not going to miss it. And, uh, and you zip right along that. And that way you're not ever at risk for cutting the mattress or doing anything wrong. And as soon as you do that, the mattress, you know, the, the sleeve comes off, the mattress opens up and within 90 seconds, that thing is ready to roll. It just puffs right up and, and you're golden. And, and that's that. So they make it super easy, but if you haven't used memory foam before you, it, it does take a little bit of an adjustment. It's different. It's way better, but it takes a little bit of an adjustment. And so they know that that happens. Now, usually that adjustment is all of about two nights, right? And then you're, then you're sold, you're hooked, but um, they know that not everybody, not everything's for everybody. So they have a 100 day return policy, free delivery, painless returns no cost to you if it turns out that this just isn't for you for whatever reason and they will uh they, they've got a whole system in place to make sure that the return happens easily you don't need to worry about you know how to cram this thing back into the box or anything like that um, all these mattresses are made here in america 
and the pricing, because they're doing this direct to home delivery, there's no showroom, which is silly with a mattress, you know, laying on a mattress in a showroom for five minutes. Wrong. You got to sleep on the thing to know if it's going to work for you. That's just how it is, you know? And so they by cutting that out, not only is it a better experience for you, but it's less expensive. Most mattresses, you know, you're, if, if you're buying like a queen or a king, you're in like the $1,500 range, right? Their king size mattress, the most expensive mattress you can get from them, 950 bucks. And uh, with our coupon code of MGG, it's 900 bucks. So you get 50 bucks off, you get free shipping and uh, twin size mattresses, uh, 500 bucks before the coupon code. So 450 and uh, you're good to go. So what's stopping you? Just go to Casper.com, pick out your size. Okay. So that part's done, right? You did that faster than it took me to tell you how to do it. And then make sure you put in coupon code MGG. You get 50 bucks off. They'll ship it to you for free. You try it out for a hundred days. You're not going to, you're not going to send this thing back, but you've got the peace of mind of knowing that if this isn't for you, you can. So check it out. Casper.com coupon code MGG. Your mattress, a good night's sleep just for you. Mattresses made in America. Risk-free trial, simple, painless returns. Free delivery, 50 bucks off. Casper.com coupon code MGG. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring the show. And thank you for the offer, the 50 bucks off for, uh, for all of you, for all of our listeners. This is outstanding. So Casper.com. All right, John, let's, uh, let's take it to the next one. Should we take it to Donna here? See what Donna has to say. Certainly. Certainly. So Donna says, uh, I wanted to share this with you in case you weren't aware. She sent a screenshot of, uh, the Apple watch order page and what's in the box. And she says uh, today while checking out the watches on the Apple store app, I noticed that it says the sport model comes with two bands and she's right. It does come with two bands. If you're looking to order an Apple watch, uh, there are multiple band sizes available for all of the, the, the watches. Some bands only come in a smaller size. Some only come in a larger size and, uh, and the um, the sport model actually comes with both bands, a, a small to medium band and, a, and the medium to large band is what they're calling it. The other watches, the, the Apple Watch, which is the stainless version, of course, the Apple Watch edition, which is gold. Those only come with one band and you have to pick the right size for yourself uh, as you're as you're going through this. To help make things simple, Rob Griffiths, who, um, among other things, started Mac OS 10 hints uh, years and years ago, put together a spreadsheet that shows all of the options and all of the sizing. And we'll put a link to that in the uh, in the show notes here. But, yeah, if you're buying the sport watch, you don't need to worry about band size because you get both. It's like the Fitbit was when it first came out. Right. You uh, you got both bands in the box. They've stopped doing that now um, because, you know, it saves them a ton of money. But um there you go. You, so you are uh, you are you are not getting an Apple Watch, right, John? Or at least not initially. <clears throat> yes. Um, yeah, I'm one of the two uh, uh, Debbie Downers. In the, <laughs> when, when, well, our, I think there were uh, three. Kelly, right? you, Nancy, what? and Kelly aren't getting them. Oh, oh, okay. I wasn't sure about Kelly, but yeah, yeah it was. Um, yeah, she she pulled the uh, the staff, and uh, it was funny because someone commented saying, you know, thank you. John for helping me understand why I don't want one. Yeah. <laughs> and Nancy. Yeah. Which, uh, Hey, it's just, 
just me. You know, if someone wants to give me one as a, as a gift, okay, maybe. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I can't identify a, a, a use case where I feel it would be worth at least three fifty. Well, yeah. other than the fact that we do this show, right? Yes. Yes. Right. So that may, uh, so, so we may have to figure a way. Uh, right. Right. Uh, make it happen so i'm you know this actually brings me back we we sort of uh we didn't sort of we shoved an ipad down your throat uh after the fact i mean because it's the air too right so that was your first ipad how now that we've forced you to own this thing how do you like the ipad both when you travel and also when you're just at home and around the house i'm just curious um i find it um I use it, I find it nicer for perusing photos, which I do quite a bit of. Yep. Um, having more real estate makes it uh, nicer to, um, you know, read uh, certain documents. More real estate than the iPhone is what right. you're saying, right? Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I like, you know, so for example, you know, mail acts differently um, mm-hmm. because you have more real estate. Uh I would say the primary use case though, for me is it's a nice way. Like, you know, when I go visit the family now, like I did last night, uh, if I want to show them some of my photos, the, uh, the iPad is a much nicer, uh, the, the most convenient vehicle to do so either through the Flickr app or some other, uh, you know, photo app. Sure. Uh, versus even my MacBook or the iPhone, the iPhone, you know, the screen is just uh, smaller, of course. So yeah, so I'm, I'm with it. Um, you know, as far as using it as like a heavy duty productivity tool, you know, like I, I don't think I would, uh, even though I did get, um, I'll have to remind myself the, the brand of it here, even though I do have a Bluetooth keyboard, so, you know, I can, you know, type to do data entry. Sure. It's still, I, I still much prefer to uh, type things in on my MacBook Pro with a real keyboard. Yeah, no, <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is it something that you use every day? Yes. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, remember when I got the first iPad, uh, I, I got it just because it was new from Apple and I figured we needed to know about it, but I kind of figured it would be the sort of thing where I would mess with it a little bit and then leave it on the coffee table. And it would be one of those things the family shared. It never made it to the coffee table. Right. I mean, it immediately became a very personal device. So, um, so, I mean, it sounds like you, you kind of went through a, a similar path. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I'm yeah, I'm and, I'm skeptical uh, about the watch. I, I mean, I've I've said that here. I'm I'm going to get one, and I'm going to get the sport because I know that it's. I'm you know when version two comes out, I'm going to want to get that. And there's no reason to you know there's no there's no technical functionality difference between them. Um, so between the, all the models, so I'll be able to experience at least that part of it uh, fully with with the lowest. Uh, well, not the lowest price. I'll probably get the forty two millimeter. So. Um, so I'll pay three ninety nine instead of three forty nine. But uh, I'm skeptical of it because I'm a watch guy. I like to wear different watches all the time. Uh, I'm not convinced I'll want to just wear one watch all the time. But it, like like I said, on, I don't think I've said it on this podcast, but I've said it on others. If, in fact, the Apple Watch converts me, uh, it's going to free up a lot of cash for me because I'll sell off most of my my watches. So, you know, that, that could actually be a good thing. <laughs> so. Anyway, watch it. So the thing is, you know, I've got some some watches that have appreciated gr- hugely over time. I mean, they're worth, you know, far more 
than I paid for them. Uh, you know, I've got a watch I bought in 2007. Um, and I'm a crazy person. So I'm just going to state that right out front. But um, I have a, a, and, and so I, there's, there's, there's many things in this story here. So I have a two tone uh, Rolex GMT master two, right? That's uh, certainly the, the, the most expensive watch in my collection. I bought it for about six grand in uh, 2007, I think. And now it's, it's easily worth 10 or more used. It, like my piece is worth that new. You're going to pay even more for it. Right. Obviously. Um, and, and this is true of, of, of a lot of fine watches, especially from, you know, reputable brands that they just appreciate in value over time. I honestly don't know, even if I stopped wearing everything, but an Apple watch, I don't know that I would sell that. I might keep that in the family and, and pass it down and all that. But, um, I never expected to buy the two-tone stainless gold uh, version. I was very interested in this particular watch, but I really thought I was going to want the stainless version. I don't wear gold a lot. You know, it's just not my thing. And I went into a jewelry store to try them all on. And I wound up trying on the two-tone one and was blown away. I, I didn't, I, I was going to say, I hate it. I didn't hate it in pictures, but I, it just was not my preference in pictures. But once I put it on myself, I realized, wow, this actually looks a lot better this way, you know, than the, than the stainless one. So I spent, you know, more money. Uh, but uh, my point is don't pick out an Apple watch without putting it on your wrist, both in terms of sizing and in terms of style. You know, it, it, as someone who has purchased a lot of watches and is obsessed over watches and has has been obsessed over watches since I was five years old. And I blame my grandfather, which is an awesome thing to be able to blame on your grandfather. Um, it's one of my favorite things that I got from him uh, was this obsession with watches. But, uh, you know, I've learned that I've, and I've bought some online and I get it and I put it on. It's like, oh, I, I hate this. This is, and it, you know, this might be a watch that I, I obsessed over for three or four months or six months or a year before I finally got it. And I put it on. It's like, uh, yeah, not so much. So pictures especially with something that you're wearing on your person are not enough. So bear that in mind as you, as you head down this Apple watch path, I I'm going to order one the day it comes out uh, so that I can, or the day the pre-orders begin so that I can hopefully get one in hand. Uh, but I'm doing that knowing that I may be making a mistake. Now I've tried them on. So I at least know that the 42 millimeter is the right size for me. But um, in terms of color and all that, uh, I, you know, I may be making a mistake. So there you go. There you go. So, and no, I don't think I'm going to, uh, I don't think I'm going to buy a, a, a Google, uh, an Apple watch edition, but, um, but I might sell that Rolex to put the kids through college as someone in the chat room here at MacGeekab.com slash stream said. So there you go. Although that's not going to be enough to put the kids through college. Let's be honest. <laughs> Unless the education bubble bursts in the next couple of years, which I'm hoping it does, but I'm not, not counting on it. All right, John, where are we going next? Uh, Flores? Yeah, go. Yeah, that is a good one. Hi, John and Dave. I seem to have a very strange connection issue with Apple's wireless mouse and my Mac Pro. It does not stay connected for longer than two to three hours. Then suddenly my Mac Pro cannot find the mouse. I've attached the errors I get in the console. I share my Ethernet connection via Wi-Fi, and that seems to cause an issue. As soon as I disable the Wi-Fi share, the mouse connects again, at least for a few hours. Also, sleeping disconnects the mouse, and afterwards, I'm not able to connect at all, and I have to restart. It seems like it started after the last update of Yosemite. I've tried some of Apple's support 
page suggestions to no avail. And uh, I, I think we, we'll uh, link to the various articles here, but Apple does have uh, articles that give you advice on what happened, uh, what you should do if you're having problems with your wireless devices. Um, my batteries are fine because one of the articles actually says, well, hey, you know, the batteries, uh, one cause is that the batteries may uh, jiggle around in the mouse and it will disconnect because it doesn't have any power. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. The problem persists with other mice too. I don't have a wireless keyboard or trackpad. I've started in safe mode in the same problem, resetting the SMC, deleted Bluetooth prefs, guest account, no difference. Do we have any suggestions? I think I do have a suggestion, Dave. All right. I'd appreciate yours. Um, don't, don't share your connection with Wi-Fi. No. <laughs> so the answer is I suspect what's happening is that we are running into interference on the 2.4 gigahertz band uh, Bluetooth if you don't know that's the frequency that Bluetooth uses and is the frequency I'm suspecting your Wi-Fi sharing is using as well so here's what I do so um and you may not know this, uh, you can share a wired connection wirelessly um, with your Mac. It, it, it's actually a, a pretty neat feature. Uh, and the way you would do that would be you could click on, uh, you go to System Preferences, Network, and then you're going to have a bunch of interfaces listed on the left here. So you're going to want to have more than one uh, interface active. And if you do, and then you click on, I'm sorry, wrong place. <clears throat> Well, that is one place that you want to be. Sure. But the other place that you want to be, yes. So I'm sorry, you go to sharing and then you're going to see internet sharing. And if you click on the little box there, it's going to then show some ports that you can use, uh, other ports where you can share your internet connection. So in this case, what you would do is you're going to see a little button if you choose Wi-Fi uh, and it's going to say Wi-Fi options, dot, dot, dot. Now, if you go there, I'm going to be almost certain. So one of the items you can select, so you can name it, you can choose the password, all the things uh, that are involved in setting up a, a wireless space similar to your airport. Um, but another thing it does is it says, hey, what channel do you want me to share on? I'm almost betting, Dave, that the channel is between 1 and 11, which means that it's a 2.4 gigahertz channel. Um, but there are also... Uh, if you have a five gigahertz radio, which uh, you should in this machine, as far as I know, yep. uh, you will also see additional options. You will see channels 36, 40, 44, or 48. I would try one of those and see if the issue goes away. I think that'll do it. Right. Or it'll confirm that you... The thing is, it's kind of annoying. I think it may be a lingering because, you know, uh, I mean, if you remember, I had a nightmare with uh, Wi-Fi under Yosemite. I think it may be a lingering bug in Yosemite, but I think you may be able to get around it by not crowding the 2.4 gigahertz space uh, on, on that machine. Yeah. That's, that's it makes sense. really what I got. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it shouldn't happen, but it is. Right. So... Yeah, and I, I was being kind of snarky and, you know, don't do that then. Um, don't share the connection from the... Uh, right. But if, if there's any way possible to, 
you know, use a, a dedicated base station and get it away, you know, get this 2.4 gigahertz away as far away from the mouse as possible. Yep. That, that'd be another thing. So, um, you know, of course you'd have to spend some money on at least a, you know, small access point and you may not want to do that. So without spending any money, choose the five gigahertz channels and I'm going to hope the problem goes away. And hopefully you're, the devices with which you want to share also all support five gigahertz. Yeah, that was my thought. I, I mean, almost, I think all the devices that I have supported, I mean, my oldest device is my Mac mini uh, 2010 and it has, it's the one where I actually saw those options, the five oh, gigahertz options. Interesting. So, okay. So I'm pretty sure any device that you have within the, any Apple device, now yeah. maybe not, maybe not, the iPhone or iPad? No, no. I'm pretty sure they support five gigahertz they, as well. Yeah, yeah. I believe he, um, certainly the first gen iPad did. Uh, the first gen iPhone did not. But uh, I'm trying to think of when they added it. It was pretty early on. So yeah, I mean you're you're probably okay. Uh, again, as long as you're you know you're within range, five gigahertz typically has a shorter range than than two point four. Mm-hmm. Uh, higher bandwidth in theory, shorter range. Cool. All right. You want to take us to Michael, John? <laughs> yes. John and Dave, is there a way to attach another document to a pages file? Pages, of course, being Apple's uh, word processing offering. Free word processing offering. Um, I have many instances where I'll have meeting Meeting notes, agendas, and I want to attach a spreadsheet or a photo or whatever to the meeting, but I can't figure out a way to associate the two files. Not sure if I'm asking this correctly, but at the moment, I'm trying to attach an Excel file to a Pages document and can't find a way to do it. I tried cutting and pasting the spreadsheet into Pages with poor results uh, in that the forming, formatting is FUBART. I finally printed the spreadsheet, scanned it back to my Mac, imported it into iPhoto, and then using the media tab, selected it from iPhoto and placed it in the document. Not the most time-effective workflow. Why can't, why can't I attach other files to a document like you can attach things in an email? Am I looking at this all wrong? I would attach a sample, but there's a... Uh, okay, yeah, can't give us a sample because it's state secrets or something. Um, am I looking at this all wrong? I, I don't think so. It seems a reasonable expectation. And I've seen this feature in other uh, uh, productivity suites, most notably, Dave, uh, Microsoft Office, and that they explicitly, and, and I've done this, uh, uh, allows you to insert what you could call an object into a document, uh, basically a file, though they look at it as you know an object, kind of using you know, software terminology here. And you just insert it in, so you put an Excel object inside a Word document, and then if somebody wants to click on it, they can do so. Now, you know, I looked in vain in pages for a similar thing, you know, insert object or insert document, and it's just really not there, Dave. I haven't found it. Yeah, when I I, saw this email come in, I had the same mm -hmm. thought that you did. It was like, oh, yeah, Office does this. Yep. I mean, the closest thing I saw is that there is an insert menu, and then in there is choose, and then you get a list of things that you can insert into the document, but it grays out um, anything that's a spreadsheet. Right. It's like, nope, can't do that. Sorry. 
Now, actually, uh, so a number of suggestions. So one, I think what he did is very clever. <laughs> now, you can insert a, a image. And so he basically converted the spreadsheet into an image. That's actually pretty clever. I, I kind of like that. Hats off. That's good. Um, those you pointed out, that's not the most, uh, you know, uh, expedient. <laughs> Complicates your workflow. Um, the other thing actually now that occurs to me, and I didn't mention it, Dave, is that, yes, you can cut and paste. I think what you may want to try to do, and uh, I'm not sure if pages is smart enough to let you define the dimensions of each page individually. Because I see what he's saying. Because oh, yeah, most documents, right, most right, documents right. you're going to have the page in portrait mode, which is, you know, it's going to be eight and a half across and 11 tall. Um, and, and I tried this too. I tried pasting some spreadsheet data and yeah, it tries to scrunch it all in this, you know, relatively small space and it makes all the columns tiny and, and it looks, uh, it looks crummy. Now, if there's some way to wrote it to, to define a single page and rotate it so that it's in landscape mode, then I think pasting in a spreadsheet, you may get better results. That just occurred to me. That may be a way to, uh, to go about this. But I'm not sure. I mean, pages, you know, you get what you pay for. <laughs> uh, the other option is you may want to explore uh, either, you know, spend the money on office uh, or look at one of the uh, compatible suites like LibreOffice or OpenOffice. Um, and do those do the same thing? Do they allow the, the cross document sharing? I am assuming because they're office compatible, they will. Okay. But I, ha I haven't tried it, but, but, but I'm suggesting, I mean, uh, you know, it'll cost you nothing to see if maybe those would do it for you. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, and somebody in the chat room suggested attaching a PDF, and that would work, but it's not a live link, right? So if you make changes in the source of the, the source document for the PDF, it's not going to update in, uh, you know, in, in Word. If it's, an, if it's a spreadsheet that you're updating in, uh, or in, in Numbers, then the the resulting data is not going to change in in pages, and that's sort of the beauty of these linked office documents is that you you get all those changes in the format that you want them. So, yeah. So as much as you know, a lot of people like to shake their fist at Microsoft. Uh, you know, they're if if there's any complaint that I have, it's that you know their office suite maybe does too much, <laughs> but in this case, it does something. Uh, it does this function uh very well last last i used it right right and you can do it for what eight bucks a month right um oh for oh, is that now with office 365 yeah. or something now the subscription thing yeah. yeah i haven't uh i haven't looked into that so yeah yeah so yeah actually i just downloaded yeah you know i'll have to see but, but yeah now they have the uh, the office 2016 preview which you can download for for free though keep in mind it's a preview so sure but uh, yeah, I've been, I've been checking that out. Nothing blows me away as far as, you know, wow, this is a great feature that I, I didn't know I needed. Right, um, right, right. But they're updating it, which is nice, because I think the last roll of it was uh, Office 2011, right? Yeah, which tends to see weekly updates. I mean, I it seems like every time I, maybe not weekly, but certainly monthly, every time I launch it, it's like, oh, you've got this 200 meg download that you must do. Like, oh, yeah, right, not now. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they've kept it. They've kept it up to date, at least from a security standpoint. But um, but yeah, it's nice to see them revving the whole the whole thing. It it's it's actually fantastic. So 
All right. Time to move on to Francis, John. Indeed. Okay. He says, just a quick question uh, regarding time machine. I checked the net and only found one link to my problem. Uh, Here's what's happening. This week, I noticed via iStat menus that my upload download speeds were going through the roof. We're talking about upwards of 10 megabytes a second. I only get 2.3 megabytes a second tops from my ISP from just normal activity. And even that is rare. Also, I'm not downloading anything except for maybe mail or Safari. No torrents, nothing. I turned off all programs when this happened and the speed didn't stop. I thought it was really annoying. It appears this upload download thing is actually being counted against my data usage by my ISP. I installed installed something called Private Eye, but that didn't seem to pick up anything nefarious, just normal stuff like mail, Instacast, and browsers. So what I had to do is turn off the computer, and it would settle down for a while. In fact, it would settle down for almost exactly an hour, and then the problem would start again. A few days ago, I noticed that this seemed to happen exactly when Time Machine backups commenced. So I monitored it, and every hour it was happening. So I switched the backups to happen only at 7.30 a.m. each day. And that's when the pattern repeated. I'm fine all day, but at 7.30 a.m. when the backup starts, so does this insane data usage. Have you come across this problem and do you know anything I can do about it? So, Francis, we we love you, as you know, um, but I can't help but use a one of my favorite lines from Stripes. And I hope you'll afford me this guilty pleasure. Uh, lighten up, Francis. No. Uh, so it, it, this is interesting. And I'll tell you why you should lighten up. Um, it, I, I, this is normal for Time Machine, right? iStat Menus, which is a great piece of software, if you don't know what it is, folks, that uh, puts all kinds of little system monitors in your menu bar. And one of them can be, you can customize them, but one of them can be your bandwidth. And it's really handy to see your bandwidth, especially for folks like, uh, like you and I, John, who came from the modem days where we had dial-up modems and lights on modems to know when things were transmitting back and forth. So it's a handy thing to see. And, and I get why, why you have it, Francis. I do too. Um, and when, but what it shows is the bandwidth in and out of just your Mac. It does not tell you what's happening at your router level. It doesn't, it doesn't delineate between bandwidth that's being sent from your Mac out to the internet versus out to another computer on your local network. It just says, here's what this particular network interface on your Mac is doing right now. Um, and in fact, it's very normal that Time Machine would use uh, lots of bandwidth. It depends. You know, we talked about this in the last show. It depends on the size of the files that are being sent and exactly what Time Machine is doing. But I regularly see my Time Machine backups going at like 30 megs. You know, it's, it's totally normal and not a problem at all. The odd thing is that you said you think it's being accounted or accounted against your ISP's data usage. Uh, I would be very curious to hear more about that piece of it, because in theory, uh, you know, if you're backing up time machine to a local uh, thing like a, you know, like a time capsule or, or your NAS drive or another Mac, in fact, uh, you would see this data usage, but it wouldn't be going across your Internet connection. In fact, it's very difficult to make time machine go across your Internet connection. I don't want to say it's impossible, but you'd have to jump through a lot of hoops to make time machine work across the internet. Uh, so I'm not overly convinced that time machine is your problem. Is, is a, is a problem here. It certainly sounds like based on the, the way you narrowed things down that time machine is doing, uh, is using this bandwidth from your Mac. 
but I don't think it's using it from your ISP. Now, if you're using something like CrashPlan or, you know, any various online backup service, sure. And if you have Dolly Drive installed, remember Dolly Drive, at least initially used Time Machine as the engine to send things over the internet. So perhaps you are doing that and you didn't realize it. But unless you've you've used Dolly Drive or something else to configure Time Machine to back up over the internet, then that and and also I mean you're telling us Time Machine is going much faster than your internet connection would allow, which also leads me to believe that it's backing up locally. So I I think you're okay. Um, and so I'll reiterate my uh, my initial guilty pleasure of of lighten up, Francis, because it is one of my favorite lines from Stripes. But um, but I think you're okay. I think this is normal. What do you think, John? That's the fact, Jack. <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yet another line from Stripes, folks. Great movie. Just remember, he said that with a straight face. To that's the right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, another thing you could look at here, Dave. So there is a utility that I have used on occasion. Now, you may ask yourself, how could I determine the bandwidth of my network router? Because as you point out, iStat menus is showing you what's going in or out of that particular computer. Right. But not necessarily what's going in or out of your router. Like in my case, it's a uh, um, an airport. Airport Extreme. Sure. Yes, Extreme. Uh, there's a handy little utility that I see in the App Store here, and there are others, but I found this one is, is, uh, is very nice, and it's called SNMP Test Utility. And once it connects to your router, so you need the IP address of your router, um, which you should be able to find in the network uh, preferences. Um, and you basically hook this up. You say, check my router to see if it supports uh, querying, you know, uh, these sort of things. And then once you do that, it will show you an inbound and outbound uh, bandwidth measure. So that's another thing you could look at here. I suspect... Or certainly hoping. Well, no, I mean, I think we pretty much concluded that you know that the, the, this time machine stuff is not taking up your uh, ISP cap, or at least it sh- I certainly hope not. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Uh, oh, someone else is that. Uh, is that the same one? Yep, that's the same one. Okay, Enzo beat me to it. Thank you, Enzo. In the chat room, folks, was what we're talking about. Remember, John. 99% of the people have no idea what's going on in the chat room. So we must, yeah, we must what happened them. is, uh, oh, or yeah. just ignore it and move on. But yeah. now that you've brought them in, go ahead. Well, we'll link to that utility, um, in the show notes. I will, I will, uh, link to that one. And it's, it's a great tool for seeing what your what's happening between your, uh, router and the internet. Yeah. SNMP test utility. All right. Uh, let's move on to Pablo. This is, um, I, I'm actually curious to your thoughts on this, John. So Pablo says, I recently purchased a transcend jet drive, 128 gigabyte for my MacBook air. My goal is simple. I want to mount this SD card as a hard drive on the desktop. The purpose is to keep all my work related files on that specific drive and sync that to the cloud using a new app by Barracuda networks called copy copy will allow me to access these files from any of my devices um does that make sense if i can get the sd card to be recognized by the os as a drive then i'm told that i can sync that drive to copy and i'm on my way this is a must-have for me as i would not want to get caught not having my key product information on my sales calls 
perfect and makes sense. And yeah, copy is, is a great tool. We haven't talked a whole lot about it, but, um, but it, it, it's a, it's a great syncing tool and it supports, uh, it's got a lot of support for a lot of different network drives. In fact, I think even the, it, it comes, uh, supported by default on the Drobo 5N, if I'm not mistaken. So really widespread support and, and good stuff. So yeah, copy is fine. And, and this should work fine. You know, when you put an SD card of any size in your Mac, you have the option of formatting it the way you want. And then it will appear as any other external drive, hard drive or, or otherwise would appear. The only issue, and especially is an issue as we start talking about drives of sizes like, you, like you're using here, 128 gigs, is that typically, and, I, and this is where I want to turn to you, John, but I, I feel like SD cards are quite a bit slower, potentially even orders of magnitude slower than uh, even their rotational, you know, um, uh, drives that you might use, let alone an SSD. So depending on the type of data that you're storing on here, you may or may not run into some lag time as you're copying data back and forth, but it certainly makes it very, very portable, uh, you know, in the SD card format. So John, uh, but I, but, but, functionally i think everything you want to do is fine you just might run into some speed issues but john i think you're going to help me there right yeah okay well yes of course <laughs> of course so um so yeah in general these class of devices sd cards um are whippy 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 <laughs> well they can be now actually this one seems to be pretty uh capable okay so um now you can look, so so there is a, a way that you can uh, measure the speed of SD cards. And actually I have a, a splendid link here. It's actually the SD Card Association and they have classes of um, classes of performance here. And Dave, as you're pointing out here, so you may see an SD card that is a class two card or a class four or six or 10. Those are some common classes here. Like actually I think, what I have on my digital camera is a class 10. What does that mean? Well, that means that you're going to get throughput of at least 10 megabytes per second. I think I thought class 10 was 30 megabytes a second. Uh, not uh, minimum class 10. Well, I'm looking at the chart right oh. here and it says 10. Oh, minimum. I see. Okay. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, okay. And, uh, well, let me let you, uh, you know, read this link here. Yeah, I, I, I think I found it. But I, it's the minimum. Yeah, Class 10 it. means minimum, though it can certainly be more. Now, I'm looking at the, at the specs for these guys. So, you know, you, you, the way they name this, you know, the jet drive sounds like, wow, jet. You know, it's like a jet it must be really fast. Well, actually, looking at what, what they claim are the throughputs, it actually looks like it is pretty darn fast. Okay. For an SD card in that they claim uh, this product or the Transcend Jet Drive. Yep. Uh, can do 95 megabytes per second read and 60 megabytes per second write, which right. is very respectable for, yeah, for an SD card. That That's, yeah, because I had your, your same concern, the, the, the lower performing card. So, so this is, I would say, more SSD-like than the SD cards that people typically get for their cameras because yeah. you really don't need that much throughput. The, the, with a camera what you want is enough throughput um, for the most part, not to record photos. I mean, those get written, you know, fairly, 
you know, quickly, but to handle a video stream is why you want to have a, a minimum speed right. on an SD card that's in a, in a camera. And, um, and I've run into this in the past. In the early days when the SD cards were slow, I would actually have some where my camera trying to record HD video would say, oh, sorry, your card's too wimpy. I, I, can't, I can't stream the data to it. Sorry. Ah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so, so in this case, uh, looking at the specs, um, you know, you pay for it. Like I, I see here, so they have a Transcend Jet Drive Lite 128 gigabyte, and it's uh, $73 All right. on Amazon. Um, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Bad. Yeah, that's not right. But yeah, you're paying, you, you, right. You get what you pay for, but that's, I mean, that's not bad. Huh? Interesting. 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 So yeah, reads at 95 megs, writes at 60. You're not going to have any speed problems. Forget everything I said. Just go ahead and do it. What? And, and so they say that the uh, durability of these is 10,000 insertion and removal cycles. So, okay, fine. Uh, will these wear out? Is it like, like with an SSD, eventually you can't write to it anymore? Is that how SD cards are, John? I mean, um, it, it any, may take far any, longer. Any, well, no, I think any flash memory. Okay. It has a limitation on write cycles. That's just the nature of the technology. Right, right. That's why. Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, as we've seen with SSDs, you don't, it takes a lot to hit that and probably would happen in, it would take longer to hit that than it would for, you know, the average mechanical drive to fail from, at least from what we're seeing, you know, SSDs haven't been around quite long enough for us to, to say that definitively, but it certainly seems that way. Good stuff. Cool. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. Uh, second sponsor of the show, John. It's time to talk about Squarespace. I love the folks at Squarespace. They, uh, you know, like everything we, we want out of life, they make things easy. And when, it's, when, you, when you make things easy, when you remove pain points, what it means is you can make things better. And that's really what you get out of Squarespace is you get the ability to build a fantastic looking website for yourself and host it because you're not worried about what software do I need to, to build the site? How do I, what language do I need to learn? How do I, what template, you know, how do I build the framework of my site and where, who do I call to host it? Do I need to learn about FTP? Right. None of that. Because Squarespace takes care of it all four of you, and every bit of it happens inside your web browser. You just visit squarespace.com. You can go to squarespace.com slash MGG if you want, but squarespace.com, that's, that's really where you start. And when you're finished, you've got a website. It's that simple, right? You go there. The first thing you do is start browsing their templates, and they built beautiful templates there. Uh, some really awesome things. Uh, they, they just, they, they care and they put months into not only designing the template and getting it, you know, the initial look right, but also making sure that whatever you do to it, it's going to work on all the browsers and it's all their templates are responsive. And, and what responsive means is that it works appropriately on whatever device someone is using to view your site. So if you're on a desktop, you see the full site. If you're on an iPad, you see the full site. If you're on an iPhone or any kind of mobile device, 
you see a, a mobile version of the site, but you don't have to give people different URLs. It, it you know, for one for, you know, m.mysite.com versus www.mysite.com. None of that. That's, that's silly. That's ridiculous. In fact, uh, and any website that does that, it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy. You don't have to do that. You can, there is a way uh, to, to make the site just work real time. It adjusts. And that's what Squarespace's templates do. So that that's not a headache, right? That, that, that pain gone. You don't even realize that pain exists. If I didn't tell you, it just works. And that's the point. So you pick a template, you start putting all your stuff in, you get a 14 day free trial from them. Right. And, uh, and then when it's time to buy, it's eight bucks a month is where their pricing starts. Right. If you sign up for a year, eight bucks a month that hosts your website for you, gets you everything. You get a free domain in with that. And uh, if assuming you do a year and what's the point you're going to do a year. I mean, why, why would you do less than a year? You don't want to move your website every three weeks. That's crazy. So you just leave it there for a year and eight bucks a month is where it starts. But, but that's before you use our Mac geek gab uh, MGG coupon code. Remember it's MGG, not Mac geek. Gab. I, they might have Mac geek Gab in there, but don't, don't listen to me. Do listen to me. Listen to me now. MGG. That's the coupon code to use 10% off. So already you're saving money, right? Now you just go, you create your site, you build whatever you want to build. And the cool part is, yeah, so you've signed up for a year, but let's say three months from now, you're like, you know, I like the way my site looks, but I saw this new template and I'd love to use that one. Well, guess what? Because it's Squarespace, they build their templates to hold Guess what? The data that you have in their site. So you just go and change to the new template, all your existing data, all your blog posts or whatever it is. You might create a storefront. You might create a blog, whatever it is. Your data is going to fit into that new template and it's going to look gorgeous. And you can drag your own images in and resize the images and do whatever you want. But you're living within this framework that Squarespace has set up for you. Start a trial. You don't even need a credit card to start your trial, which is a kind of a rare thing these days, to be honest with you. Uh, if you have some e-commerce stuff you want to add, go ahead and do that. But uh, when you do decide to to sign up and 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 uh, you know you you end your your tr- free trial and bring your website live, coupon code MGG saves you ten percent. So we'd like to thank Squarespace for supporting our our endeavor here at Mac geek cab. And I'd like to thank you for using Squarespace. Let us know what your uh, website is. We'll, we'll share that with, uh, with everybody here. Remember squarespace.com use coupon code M G G Squarespace. Build it beautiful. You can do it. You could be, you could have done it in the time it took me to tell you about it. Squarespace.com coupon code M G G. All right, John, let's, uh, where are we on time here? We got a little bit of time. You want to uh, you want to take us to Larry? Do I? I yes, do. I do, and I like <laughs> the title of his question. It's it's a good album, right? Yeah. You going to share the title with anybody? <clears throat> Ghost in the Machine. I like it. So it appears. Um, so Larry was seeing some weird. Oh, great preview! Quit unexpectedly. I expected that to happen. You know that was not unexpected, folks. Preview is <laughs> why does preview keep? It's been quitting on me like repeatedly today. I don't know what's going on. Let me just highlight the one. All right. Okay. One more time. Okay, Larry, we're gonna 
All right. So Larry is running something that I like because it's a great diagnostic tool and it's called Hardware Growler. Uh, Growl is a notification system and Hardware Growler gives you hardware specific notifications. It has a number of modules and it can tell you when there is activity on your Bluetooth, your Firewire, uh, keyboard, network, power, USB, and uh, volumes. Uh, good information if, if you just want to know what's happening uh, w- between your computer and, and uh, various devices. What he was seeing is a notification um, spreading across the screen. And I can see his iMac here. and I can see it totally populating the screen. The stream, and it keeps say, kept saying USB connection to ASM 107X, USB disconnection from USB, uh, ASM 107X. So the question is, Dave, what the heck is ASM 107X? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the alien that uh, that that was going to come back and 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 uh, take care of Skitch for us, right? Uh, I'm not sure. And okay. it's not ED209. You remember him? Yeah, he, he, was, he was a bad guy. ED209. All right, never mind. Sorry, all these obscure references. Uh, it's a USB controller, specifically from a company called Asmedia. That's where you get the ASM in this. And they have a USB3 control a USB3 controller called the ASM1074. So I'm almost certain that is the USB chip that is in your computer um apple makes some chips but a lot of the chips other people uh, already make them so they will use them in their computer and you can tell like another another company that makes a lot of networking chips is broadcom and and a lot of times you will see when when the computer is referring to those devices uh you will see um bcm uh short for broadcom in this case they use asm which is a short version uh, of the name of this company here. Now, how can you find out what USB um, chip you have in your machine? Well, I'm going to tell you, you would go into system information. You're then going to see a hardware list, a hardware category. You then click on USB and then you're going to see various devices here. If you click on uh, one of the hub devices, you will then see who makes it. Like, for example, here on my Mac Mini, if I click on one of them, I will see BRCM2070 Hub. Um, and you'll see that in the description. Broadcom that, Corporation. Now, is, so that, Broadcom, is that an internal hub inside your Mac, John? Or is that an external yes. hub connected to your Mac? I guess it could be either, right? That is the one that is inside. So specifically on this machine, this yeah. is in my Mac Mini. Okay, got it. So that is a Broadcom USB hub chip. Inside your Mac that, that gives you yes. that gives you multiple USB ports effectively uh, from from just one USB controller. Correct. OK, but it could so be in this case with Larry, it could be either an internal or an external hub that's that's triggering these messages. It theoretically um, I'm suspecting it's inside. OK, OK. Because if it was an external hub, then you would see, well, you, you will see this in your USB device tree. If it was a hub plugged into his machine, that would be a hub plugged into a hub. And you should be able to, to see that chain here. Right. But, oh, true. Of course. Of course. But the question here is, what does this mean? And I don't think it's good. Um, 
what he's seeing is is the hub is saying, "Hi, I'm here. Uh, bye. Hello, I'm here. Bye." That's that's bad. Um, and there could be a number of things wrong. So one, it could be that there is a USB device connected to your computer that is traumatizing the controller. It's freaking it out. It's 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 confusing it. Right. So suggestion one: whatever USB devices you have uh, plugged into your computer, unplug them and uh, see if if uh, this problem goes away. Uh, number two, number two, it could be that that chip is failing or is failing. Yeah. Uh, in which case you may have to, uh, cause if you're seeing this chip connecting and disconnecting all the time, I suspect that your USB devices are, uh, are acting up as well. Or if not, they're not operating at peak efficiency here. If they're, you know, if this chip is, you know, continually disconnecting and connecting. Um, the third thing is that you could have a damaged kernel extension. Kernel extension is low-level operating system software that talks to hardware. And actually, when you look in the USB um, category inside system information, you will see the name of uh, the kernel. You should see the name of the kernel extension that is, uh, eh, you may not. You may have to actually go into the software and extensions section um, to see that. So you may want to try to boot from uh, another drive and see if this goes away. If it does go away, then you have a damaged kernel extension and you may want to reinstall the operating system. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's right. what I got. Um, oh, that, makes, that makes sense. The, the real hope would be that it's it, it is an external hub and you can just replace it if, it if it's a hardware issue. But like you said, it yes, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it certainly could be a third party hub using this, uh, you know, this mysterious chip here. Yep. Um, now you could also turn off the, uh, USB notifications and hardware growler, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, well, that would be one way to make them go away. Wouldn't it? (laughs) Uh, You know, it's funny. Actually, I ran into this recently and I don't think it's, uh, it was intentional, but I actually remember, um, that thing I, uh, I I was mentioning this piece of software that that was uh, free for a couple of days called Mac ID. Yeah. Yeah, it's a piece of software someone wrote that is uh, it lets you use Touch ID to unlock your Mac. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The only weird thing that I see and I have to contact the author about this is that when it's running on my MacBook Pro, I will continually see Bluetooth connection attempts to all of the Bluetooth devices in my household. Oh, right. I think it's because now I don't know if this is the Bluetooth, if it's the I mean, it's the only, it works, but the software works great. The only thing is that it's an annoyance because I keep seeing these messages from hardware growlers. So sure. it's, it's an annoyance in the fact, I don't think anything is wrong. I think the it's probably the software doing exactly what it should be doing is it's like, well, I need to know about all the Bluetooth devices that are near me. So I'm going to send out a query and they're going to respond and, but it keeps happening and it's distracting. So for the time being, I disable the Bluetooth notifications and uh, yeah, I'm going to contact the author and see if this is something that he, uh, that he has any control over. He, he may or may not. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, all right. Good. Cool. Ghosts in the machine. We like it. And it might be inside the machine. Let's move on and do a couple of, uh, a couple of tips here. Devin, uh, well, Devin had a, a data repair issue. Um, very, very, uh, very, very, well, it almost lost a ton of data. 
and uh, and he said that the uh, partition was we had several partitions on his drive, and one of the partitions that had all his work data was very corrupted, and he couldn't boot into it. He ha- had you know a system on it as well, and he can't couldn't verify or repair the partition with disk utility anywhere. Uh, the other partition on the disk was totally fine, and. He tried Disk Warrior and Disk Warrior saved the day. Um, He didn't have Disk Warrior, so he had to go and uh, he downloaded it. So Disk Warrior, you you know, you have to run uh, from a a working Mac. So he he downloaded Disk Warrior to a a different partition. Right. Um, And then, you know, installed it there and then mounted or didn't mount, but pointed Disk Warrior at the drive and it rebuilt the directory data. And this is one of those things where disc warrior is, this is why I keep a copy of disc warrior around because when you've got a damaged partition like this, um, disc warrior has always been the, the tool that just cuts to the chase. It rebuilds the directory. It doesn't try to repair it. Um, It just rebuilds it. And that is, is sometimes the best thing you can do when you've got a disc that just won't, if it won't mount at all, trying to repair it can sometimes make it worse. And this is where disc warrior really, really shines is that it, it allows you to just rebuild and, uh, and it goes through the whole thing and, and kind of, you know, rebuild it recreates the entire directory. It doesn't try to repair what was there. It doesn't make, um, doesn't, doesn't try to, you know, detangle any of that. It just says, all right, let's start from scratch. Let's go get everything, all the data that we can and rebuild the directory. So, um, it, it you know, it is possible to use, and I, and, and I, I appreciate you sharing your story, Devin. He saved, he shared a very, very long story and I'm not going to go through all the details here, but, um, it is possible, even if you don't already own disc warrior to download it and, and use it either on a separate partition or even a separate Mac to repair your drive. Uh, and it, you know, it's a, it's a lifesaver. So thank you, Devin. Um, he couldn't even get the disc to mount disc utility. Wouldn't talk to it at all. It just said, no, I can't repair it. And disc warrior came in and saved the day. hundred percent of his data is accessible. So definitely, definitely a worthwhile tool. It's um, it's been around for a long time. They've got a new version out, but, uh, but don't discount this one, folks. It's good stuff. Are you a disc warrior fan too, John or no? Never made it part of my uh, toolkit, but I um, but I am paying attention to what you're saying. And yeah. actually, yeah, uh, directory corruption and partition weirdness. Uh, sometimes you can't fix it. it. Right, just makes matters worse. So, yeah, starting from scratch is uh, you know with a tool that knows how to do that is uh, <laughs> sometimes you're you're only. Uh, other than restoring from a backup, yeah. we assume that everybody makes backups on a regular basis. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And some, but you know, sometimes your backup is just far enough out of sync to, uh, make it worth trying something else. And, you know, it, I realize we, we recommend a lot of things here that aren't necessarily inexpensive. Um, I mean, disc warrior is totally worth it when you need it, but it's 120 bucks, right? Um, totally worth it. But that doesn't mean 
that you're going to go, I, I, you know, even if we tell you it's something you should have on hand, you're not necessarily just going to go buy it and store it in a drawer. So, uh, you know, why I like Devin's story is it, he showed how it is possible to not own a copy of it until you need it and then use it. And I'm sure the makers of disc warrior would prefer that we all just went out and bought a new copy uh, as a preventative measure. And, and that is the best thing to do. Cause that way you're in the panic moment. You're not sweating how to figure it out. They have it on a flash drive that you get for that 120 bucks. You get a download and the uh, flash drive. Uh, you can do the uh, let's see. No, I guess that that's how you buy it now. They've changed over time, but, uh, but that's how you get it. So it, it is, it is possible to use it in a pinch. And I really appreciated hearing that. Um, I've, anytime I've used it, I've always just had a copy, but to be fair, John and I are in a situation here because we do this little show every week that we tend to wind up with, uh, review copies of all this stuff. So it's, easy for us to say go ahead and buy it but probably you know not exactly in part of everybody's budget just to you know stock up on a thousand but i mean this isn't a thousand but if you if you bought everything that we said you should have in an emergency you're probably spending five between five no seriously between five hundred and a thousand bucks just to be prepared if you're in i if you're in it and you have a ton of computers that you're uh, maintaining totally makes sense if you're somebody like us you know at home it's hard to justify so Devin's story tells us that mm -hmm. you can, you can get it when you need it and it still saves you. So anyway, yes. there you go. Says yep. John, who is currently looking at a USB stick that has drive genius on it that I just recently had to invoke because drive pulse was reporting corruption on the SSD in my Mac mini. Yeah, so I've have seen a new mechanism where you can create now. So what you can do now with the latest drive genius um, is you now it creates a bootable uh, fix it version on the USB drive that the product ships on. And then you boot from that and then it, it repairs the, because uh, typically you can't repair a drive that is the drive you booted from. Right. And this is how they uh, currently uh, allow you to do that. Uh, Cause yeah, it came up drive, drive, J, drive pulse came up and said, Whoa, you got corruption on your SSD. I've um, seen that. Fix it. Did you have, did, were, was there actual corruption? Oh yeah. Disc, uh, disc utility. Uh, yeah. And here's another thing. So disc, so I ran disc utility as well, just to do a verify. And it also, it was a uh, invalid free block count, I believe. So there was minor damage. And okay. the drive was okay. saying there was less free space than there should have been. And then drive pulse, uh, can uh, can pick that up. Okay. I when when uh and I haven't seen this recently, so I think there was there was probably some some bug when uh Drive Genius. So we're talking about two different products, right? Disc Warriors from Alsoft, Drive Genius from ProSoft. Um they do some their goals are similar, their methods are are different. And and for Devin's problem, I absolutely would recommend Disc Warrior every time. However, um, with, with drive pulse from drive, drive genius, it's a, it's a bit more of a comprehensive solution. D Disc warriors sort of single focus, um, targeted, but, uh, but with, with drive genius, I had it when I first installed whatever the, you know, the latest, um, major revision was, it started telling me regularly that I had problems on my SSD and my MacBook air, but I didn't, it was, it was just reporting things that way. And I had to actually turn off all the notifications. But um, yeah, I had that too. Yeah, there was a minor bug it was in just it. A bug. it. Yeah, yeah the, exactly. the same thing. It, okay. it, it kept 
yeah, throwing up the alert and you had to keep dismissing it and then it would throw up more and it's like, stop, stop. Yeah, just <laughs> knock it off. That's right. Okay, well, I'll, I'll turn that back on. That's that's handy. So, yeah, it, you know, interesting stuff. I mean, I like I, I just installed Tech Tool Pro uh, so that I could do the directory backups, you know, once a day or whatever, which which also is helpful as a preventative measure. Right. And we talked about that in the last show. So it's crazy all the stuff that we need to do, but uh, I think it's a testament to the fact that you do need to do some of this stuff. And the testament is that this show has existed for 10 years. And since the major focus of this show is helping you solve your problems, I, I don't think problems are going away. Uh, if we did the, uh, <laughs> if we did the windows geek gab, John, we could do a show this of this length every day, I think, but you know, thankfully we don't. So, Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. What? We don't want to do Windows Geek Gab every day? Every morning, 6 a.m. <laughs> no, huh? Believe it or not, Windows actually, no, being a, a Windows developer, Windows actually still has some features that I think, uh, or, or some features that are superior to the Mac. Oh, of course. Yeah. I will say, I will say the one facility that Windows has that uh, I really wish they would have on the Mac is the ability to roll back to a previous system state. Windows makes that pretty easy to do if you use their approved um, installation tools. Right. And you can just say, okay, go, go to a prior state. Everything's all screwed up. Go to the prior state, please. And it's like, yep, no problem. Yep. I mean, it's almost like going back. It's almost like time machine, like restoring it, but, but it's a lot quicker. You know, you're not restoring the entire contents of... Uh, <laughs> right you know it's just it's it's going back to an earlier version of you know core system components and uh because i've had that happen sometimes i've installed something on windows and all of a sudden the the system crashes and burns and i'm like whoops yeah right okay let's roll let's roll that back let's roll it back yeah no there is it's just it's just you know i mean i supported windows long enough there's there's all kinds of there's more issues with it on an ongoing basis than there are than there are with the mac oh yeah and, and yet there are plenty uh with the mac all right, we will wrap things up with with one last little tidbit before I have to race off to the theater here and uh, go play my show, which curtain is in two hours, so I gotta I gotta get moving. Uh, but Scott wrote in and said uh, he was a little bit behind, but listening to Matt Geekab five forty one, which I believe was the show we did with Chris Breen, he says, and uh, you're talking about laptop batteries, and someone was talking about charging batteries overnight. Since it's a Friday, my mind is wandering. This time, he says, I wandered back to 1975. 1975, not only was I 15 and waiting to turn 16 the next year so that I could get a driver's license, but I was very into the rock and roll of the day. On this occasion, I'm channeling Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Freely, and Peter Chris, better known as Kiss. And being Friday and stuck in the office, not only does Kiss represent a good party, but the song they introduced, Rock and Roll All Night. So get this, or maybe not, since it gets into the weirdness of my mind, take the talk about charging your batteries all night and the rock and roll of Kiss, and we can rewrite the chorus and come up with, I want to charge my iPhone all night and Twitter every day. After that, he says, I think I need some more coffee. Too bad the little cafe downstairs does not have a little Irish whiskey. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that's, that is good battery advice. Charge all night, party every day. It works. Thanks for sharing that, Scott. Thanks, everybody. 
Thanks, uh, thanks, Michael Johnston, for converting the show to AAC for us and adding all the chapters. You got to check out his iOS show podcast. Thanks to Cashfly, C A C H E F L Y dot com, for providing all the bandwidth, getting the show from us to you. Thanks to you, John. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks especially to our premium supporters, MacGeekab.com slash premium. Show you all about that. John, if they want to contact us, what's the best way to do that? There's so many ways. I don't even know where to start. But if I had to start somewhere, Dave, I would probably suggest that you send an email to feedback at MacGeekab.com. No, 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 no. That's feedback at MacGeekab.com. Yeah, I think you're breaking up. Um, I'm, I'm almost certain I said feedback at MacGeekab.com. Unless you are one of our premium supporters, in which case you get to use premium at MacGeekab.com. We do endeavor to answer everything that comes in, but the premium stuff does get priority. And, uh, and we certainly appreciate that and are happy to do that for those of you that can. Uh, if you want to phone us, 206-666-GEEK at Four three three five is the phone number, and uh, John, pick your favorite uh, way that people can contact us. Uh, uh, other than that, your favorite last way for this show, anyway. Um, hey, there's our Facebook page, right? Sure. MacGeekab.com/slash/facebook. Yeah, That's right. Yes, and actually, we just had a little a uh, little tussle on there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have several tussles there, but yeah, yes, it's a uh, great community. Yeah. Just saw a discussion about something bizarre that Facebook is now doing to certain users when they when they log in, and his displeasure with that. I got to look into it actually. Um, yeah, you I, have I, to I haven't seen. You got to check out the, our Facebook group so you can see what John's talking about here. But there, yeah, there's there's great discussion, and the nice part about it is it's very interactive, and and your comments are viewable by everyone in the group as well. So. It, uh, it really helps kind of open things up. It's actually quite fantastic. So, All right, folks. I also want to thank our sponsors. Uh, as we mentioned during the show, Casper at uh, Casper.com. And you can use the coupon code MGG for $50 off. That gets you $50 off and free shipping on your mattress with 100-day return policy. So you got nothing to lose. And... Uh, and you can have your mattress delivered pretty quickly. You're, you're having a good night's sleep within a week, I would think. So check them out. Also, Squarespace at squarespace.com. And then uh, coupon code MGG gets you 10% off there as well. Uh, additionally, this month, of course, gazelle.com. Sell all your old stuff off. Uh, imazing.com for putting data on and pulling data off your iPhone selectively. Drobo.com. Got to check them out for their file transporter. They're they're running a special, I think, through B&H Photo. You can get the Drobo Gen 3 for $199. Smile.com. Actually, SmileSoftware.com is where Smile is. Text Expander, PDF Pen, and Linda. Don't forget about them. L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G. Gets you 10 days free of their excellent training videos. All through Backbeat Media. John, wrap us up. Share some lasting advice, please. Well, on your way to the theater, Dave, and on your way to the show, the only thing I could suggest to you is not to break a leg, but to not 